Warren. This is Viewpoint with attorney and author Chuck Chrismeyer. Viewpoint is a one-hour talk show confronting the issues of America's heart and home. And now with today's edition of Viewpoint, here is Chuck Chrismeyer. Today, Benjamin Netanyahu, former prime minister of uh, Israel, the Likud party leader, spoke to the Haredi media outlets, urging the Haredi community to break out of its complacency and go to the polls on Election Day. And Election Day is November 1st. And who are the Haredi? Well, the Haredi are the ultra-Orthodox Jews, or the real Orthodox Jews, who hold to what is called Halakhic laws, that is, Rabbinic Judaism, where the rabbis have interpreted how you will or will not obey the Bible, the Torah. So Benjamin Netanyahu has warned. He says that if you don't vote, that is the Haredi, the ultra-Orthodox Jews, the Torah world is in danger. The Torah world is in danger. Now, what does he mean by that? What is the Torah world? And for some people wondering even what the Torah is. The Torah is the first five books of the Bible, sometimes referred to by Jews as the first five books of Moses. But Protestants and Gentiles generally refer to the Torah as the Pentateuch, that is, the first five books of the Bible. So, for the Haredi, that is, the ultra-Orthodox Jews, the Torah is the beginning and end of everything, virtually, for all practical purposes. It's not that they don't uh, embrace the, uh, the Psalms, the wisdom literature, and the prophets, and so on, but... The Torah, that is the beginning and the end of it all for them. Therefore, Benjamin Netanyahu characterizes the ultimate effect of their willingness to vote or not vote as putting the Torah world in danger. In other words, the biblical world from a Jewish perspective. He said, I don't believe that people are really considering staying home The media is trying to lull everyone to sleep, including the Haredim, or Haredim, because anyone who remains at home is essentially voting for the other side, which is definitely not supportive of the Haredim or the Haredim. So, this election coming up on November 1st is a very, very big deal in Israel and for the world. For Israel and for the world. In fact, so much so that regarding claims that Netanyahu had received warnings from senior U.S. officials against appointing a member of the Knesset, Itamar Ben-Gavir, of religious Zionism to the position of minister, Netanyahu said, we are a democracy and we will decide, we will decide who will be in the next government. Apparently, you see, the United States government under Ben, uh, uh, Mr. Biden is doing whatever he can and whatever the State Department can to work in the Israeli election to prevent Mr. Netanyahu from being elected. They don't want him. Why don't they want Mr. Netanyahu to be elected again as prime minister? 
because he can't be controlled. That's why. He's very much, in a sense, like Donald Trump. He isn't Donald Trump, but he's, in some respects, like that. He can't be controlled. He is who he is, and he can't be controlled, and he's looking over what he believes are the best interests of Israel, which are not including globalism. Did you hear that? Mr. Netanyahu has not been in favor of globalism. Well, that makes him hated by the U.S. State Department and by the Democrat Party in America. So they don't want anybody elected there in Israel on November 1st who will jeopardize the growing new world order. The effort of Mr. Biden and uh, the State Department and uh, the foundation, the, the founder of the World Economic Forum, Klaus Schwab, all of these people are globalists. And Mr. Netanyahu is not. That may be one of the reasons why Mr. Obama, former President Obama, had such hatred, obvious hatred, for Mr. Netanyahu. What we're seeing taking place now in the political realm actually is a reflection of the spiritual realm. If we do not see it that way, we miss the point. This is about spiritual issues fundamentally. They're just not talked about in the media. They're not recognized generally because everybody talks politically. But the politics are not driving the spiritual. The spiritual is driving the politics. And so we need to understand it that way. What is about to take place in Israel is... In some respects, as big a deal as what takes place on November 8th, one week later, in America. Israel National News says that Haredi vote may be the deciding factor in the upcoming elections. We'll talk more about that, and I welcome you to Viewpoint. I'm Chuck Chrismeyer's conversation, as always, with ever-increasing conviction, talk that transforms. Today is no exception. And I trust that uh, you will find what we talk about here today on the program dealing with Israel and not just with Israel. You see, we've already brought in the United States. We've brought, already brought in the globalistic world. That is, those who are seeking to turn our world into a one-world government, a one-world order, which essentially will be one monstrous uh, dictatorship. And guess who will head up that dictatorship? A fellow known in the Bible as the Antichrist, the counterfeit Christ figure. So if you want to find out a little bit more about how to identify that fellow, you might want to get a copy of my book, Antichrist, How to Identify the Coming Imposter. $22, we'll put it in your hands. It's on our website, saveus.org, saveus.org. Give us a call, 1-800-SAVE-USA. Or write to us at Save America Ministries, P.O. Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 23255. You're writing a check at $5 for postage and handling, and we'll get the book in your hands pronto. All right, let's move back now to this election uh, briefly, and then we're going to move on to some other aspects with regard to uh, the growing anti-Semitism in the world 
And yes, in the United States of America, what does it mean? And then we're going to shift to a fascinating discussion with regard to the role of Vladimir Putin and Israel, the future of Russian-Israeli relations. This is a big deal. This is a very, very big deal. And I hope you'll stay tuned until we get to that in the last half of the program here today. While politicians are focused on the Arab vote and what percentage of that community will go to the polls in Israel, and the Likud party, Netanyahu's party, focuses on bringing more of its supporters to the polls, a potentially deadly blow may be coming to the right-wing bloc from one of its own. That is, the Haredi United Torah Judaism Party may lose a seat due to infighting. Hmm. Interesting. We'll be back. Once upon a time, children could pray and read their Bibles in school. Divorces were practically unknown, as was child abuse. In our once great America, virginity and chastity were popular virtues, and homosexuality was an abomination. So what happened in just one generation? Hi, I'm Chuck Chris Meyer, and I urge you to join me daily on Viewpoint, where we discuss the most challenging issues touching our hearts and homes. Could America's moral slide relate to the Fourth Commandment? Listen to Viewpoint on this radio station or anytime at saveus.org. You see, Israel is facing the very same issues or or, uh, concerns in their election that we are in the United States. Their election comes on November 1st. Ours comes on November 8th, one week later. Will what happens in Israel affect what happens in America? It could. It could. And one of the reasons it could is that 75% of Jews in America vote Democrat. Will they do that this time? Because if they vote that same pattern in Israel, they're going to get a very secular government that is anti-Torah, anti those, uh, anti the Haredi for certain, anti-Orthodox Jews, and therefore will set the stage for a, a serious, a very serious spiritual condition in Israel that will be basically anti-God. That's really where things are, just kind of distilling them into a, uh, uh, a simple way of looking at it. The same thing is true in America, exactly the same issue. The underlying spiritual issue is whether Israel or whether the United States will be God-fearing or not. Whether they will take the Bible seriously or not. Whether God's God has authority in and through his word or his Torah or not. That's really the issue. And everything else spins off from that. Everything. Economic issues. Crime issues. Other political issues, international issues, they all spin off from the fundamental question of whether the United States and Israel will be God-fearing or not, whether the majority of the people will be God-fearing or not, 
whether they will align themselves with the word, will, and the ways of God as revealed in the Bible, certainly at least for the Jews in the Torah, or not. That makes this a very, very serious issue. It's even more serious because of the timing in which it is taking place. It's taking place at a time when our world is in, I think nobody would disagree, total chaos. It's in total chaos. Fear is rampant at every level. Among leaders, among uh, economists, fear is rampant everywhere. The prognostications concerning economics and uh, uh, even energy now, just this very day, economists have spoken on all of those energies, I mean, all of those issues, saying the world is in deep chaos and trouble. A crisis is seriously brewing everywhere. That being the case, the world needs stability. The world needs godly direction. And Israel and America are the only two nations basically remaining that have any remaining serious vestiges of allegiance to the God of creation. All others, including the nations of uh, uh, the EU nations, uh, which basically are the resurrected Roman Empire of that Daniel spoke of, that would be the final great world uh, global empire. Uh, That's what they are. And they're not God-fearing. So that gives us a context for these two elections coming up in Israel and then also uh, with the U.S. And whether people who profess to be Christians, or profess to be Torah-observant, believing Jews, whether they will vote, period, whether they will vote, get out to vote, and whether they will vote in accordance with the Scriptures as opposed to in accordance with some other political agenda is going to determine the future of America and the future of Israel and thereby the future of the world. Now, at the same time, the Jerusalem Post reports today, uh, actually a week ago, over 350 anti-Israel incidents in the United States campuses in the year 2021-22. Over 350 anti-Israel incidents on campuses. This is a growing problem. Anti-Semitism in our universities and colleges, is a growing problem. Why is this significant? Because if the world continues to rise up through our young people who will become the leaders of tomorrow, if they're anti-Semitic at this time, they'll be doubly so when they get into power. This is significant. Why is this significant? From God's viewpoint. Because... He said to Abraham, I will bless those that bless you, and I will curse those that curse you. So to the extent that we become a nation of anti-Semites, we're in deep trouble. 
Russia found itself in that position. That's why a million Jews fled the pogroms in Russia. And Russian Jews comprise the majority, I think, of uh, all of the Jewish people that have made Aliyah or returned, emigrated to Israel. A million of them at one time. To escape the pressure, the oppression that Russia put on the Jewish people. What's going to happen in the U.S.? Are we going to see the same thing happen here? There are growing trends. Growing trends. We hear the voices coming up in the background. You can hear them. The media will pick up on them sometimes, but they're there. And it's a growing trend of anti-Semitism, anti-Jew in America. Yet, interestingly, if it were not for a Jewish man by the name of Haim Solomon, we probably wouldn't even have a country called the United States of America. Because he almost single-handedly financed the American Revolution and put him into poverty. He took his vast wealth and used it, invested it in the American Revolution so that we might have freedom. Maybe you didn't know that, but now you do. All right, so we move from that and go to England. The Jerusalem Post makes another report a week ago. The Church of England and the Catholic Church now have combined together in England to oppose moving their embassy, that is the UK embassy, to Jerusalem, from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. You'll remember that when Donald Trump was president, he said, we are going to do that. The Congress committed to do that 20 years ago and is continually to to uh, kick the can down the road, and we're not going to do it anymore. We're going to do what should have been done, and we're going to move our embassy to Jerusalem, the eternal capital of Israel. So he did. He took a lot of heat for that in various corners of the world, and even in America, but he did it. He did it because it was not only politically, but morally and spiritually uh, the thing to do. America did that. Several other nations then followed suit. But they needed somebody to take the lead, because all the nations of the earth had left Jerusalem, all of them. Talk about anti-Semitism. Now, we have the Church of England, supposedly headed up now by Prince Charles, who is a very godly, godless man and uh, has really no interest other than a formal responsibility to de- be defender of the faith, which he actually construed to be defender of all faiths, which showed that he was, at best, uh, a syncretizer of all religious beliefs. He's the guy, he's heading up the Church of England, uh, at least as the titular leader. Now, 
two of the UK's most senior so-called Christian authorities have come out against the potential decision to move the British embassy to the state of Israel from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. In a statement shared both on his official website as well as on his Twitter account, the Catholic Cardinal stated that, quote, such a relocation of the UK embassy would be seriously damaging to any possibility of lasting peace in the region and to the international reputation of the United Kingdom, unquote. Did you know that the UK, England, has played this game with Israel for 70, actually since 1917 and before? In 1917, the Balfour Declaration was signed, and uh, that opened the opportunity uh, for the Jewish people to return to the land, Eretz Israel, the land of Israel, that had been promised by God as an eternal leasehold to the physical descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The Brits had played the Arab game for many years. The British were concerned about Arab politics. And so, They did not much like Israel or the Jewish people. And there was a constant tug of war internally in England as to what to do with the Jewish people since they had no homeland after World War II. Well, before that, in 1917, the Balfour Declaration was written that allowed, opened the gates uh, politically for the Jewish people to begin to return to that land. There were a series of uh, so-called treaties or agreements that were made uh, with the Arab peoples uh, surrounding, and uh, ultimately... Israel did not was not supportive. Excuse me, uh, England was not supportive. England continued to betray the Jewish people over and over again. Finally, Israel rose up uh, within. There was a revolution among some of the Jewish people, and they ended up uh, forming the nation of Israel in 1948, much to the chagrin, really, of the Brits and certainly of the Arabs that the Brits had supported. Now, it seems that the Church of England and the Catholic Church in England hasn't much changed their colors. They're afraid. What are they afraid of? They're certainly not afraid of God, because God said that he had given the land to the physical descendants of Arab uh, uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So what are they afraid of? They're afraid of the Arabs, and they're afraid of the United Nations, and they're afraid of all of those who are objecting to a unified Jewish state in Israel that doesn't adopt Palestinian authority within Israel. They're moved by fear, fear of man, not fear of God. So again, even though there are political things that are being said, the framework is political. The foundation is spiritual. The framework is political. 
but the foundation is spiritual. Now, if the spiritual aspect is tottering, is deteriorated, what does that say then for the superstructure that is being built on top of it? It will not be stable. It is subject to continued swaying, chaos, political earthquakes, and whatever comes down the pike, so to speak. This is a big deal. Now, we're going to go back to the Israeli uh, legislative election coming up on November 1st. We're going to take a look a little bit at some of the details there. Not, not in undue detail, because that would be confusing to everybody. The whole Israeli uh, party system and parliamentary system is very confusing. Did you know they have 20 contesting political parties that have to be dealt with in this election? 20! Wow. We'll be right back. There is so much more about Chuck Chris Meyer and Save America Ministries on our website, saveus.org. For example, under the marriage section, God has marriage on his mind. Chuck has some great resources to strengthen your marriage. First off, a fact sheet on the state of the marital union, a fact sheet on the state of ministry, marriage, and morals. SaveUS.org. Marriage, divorce, and remarriage. What does the Bible really teach about this? Find all of this at SaveUS.org. Also, a letter to pastors, the Hosea Project, SaveUS.org, and many more resources to strengthen your marriage. It's all on Chuck's website, SaveUS.org. Again, you can listen to Chuck's Viewpoint broadcast live and archived. Save America Ministries website at SaveUS.org. Again, I welcome you back to Viewpoint. I'm Chuck Chris Meyer. And today we're looking at uh, Israel. We're looking at Israel with regard to its upcoming election on November 1st, one week before America's midterm elections. And then we're looking at the echoing consequences from those things. Why is it that Israel's election is very similar to America's? And the struggle that America is having is very similar to the struggle that Israel is having. Ultimately, the root of it all is a spiritual struggle. Israel is profoundly divided. Now, you have Jews, you have Arabs, and many of them are entitled to vote. Uh, You have about 1.7 million Arabs and uh, about uh, 6.3, 6, well, maybe 7 million Jews in Israel today. Somewhere around that. So the majority are Jewish people, not Arabs. So looking at the Jewish people, where do they stand, not politically, but where do they stand Spiritually, what are their commitments? Well, in broad terms, we can say that about a third of them are, shall we say, somewhat Torah observant. They're not necessarily the ultra-Orthodox, but they may be Orthodox or close to it. Then you have another group 
that is uh, much more liberal, Reformed Jews. Just like in America, we have the evangelicals, and then we have the more liberal areas of professing Christianity. They have the same thing there in Israel, except they're Jewish. But they're divided. They don't see eye to eye on issues. In fact, the Reformed Jews don't see eye to eye on hardly anything as it relates to the Bible. They just make up their own ideas and make a religious observance out of it. And then you have another third that are just totally secular. So in reality, because the Reformed Jews are not biblically or Torah observant particularly, basically two-thirds of all Israel, all the Jewish people in Israel, are basically secular. Now let's take a look at America. In America, we have basically exactly the same thing. We used to be a primarily God-fearing country. Whether you want to call it Christian or not, a primary God-fearing country. Even Alexis de Tocqueville told us that back in 1830, when he came over from not-so-jolly-old France and wanted to observe what was taking place in America. And he couldn't understand why America took off like a rocket and France couldn't get a, a stable government. It was because France's foundation was anti-biblical. America's foundation was biblical. France's foundation was anti-Christian. America's foundation was Christian. That was the difference. And de Tocqueville saw that immediately. He said it was the first thing he noticed. That the Bible had virtually complete authority in the life of all Americans, whether or not they were Christians. That's what he said in his book, Democracy in America. But it's not that way anymore in America. We've walked away from our foundation. And so now we have two political parties, one designated as red, the other designated as blue. But in reality, the divisions between the two are primarily spiritual. One party is basically God-fearing, not 100%, but basically. The other is very much not God-fearing, in fact, anti-God. You can even gather that from their platforms. So we have a great division in America. Jesus asked a question. Can a city divided against itself or a house divided against itself stand? The It was a rhetorical question, and the answer was no. A house divided against itself cannot stand. America is divided against itself. Israel is divided against itself. And even within the Haredi group, the most ultra-conservative, they have division now, that is jeopardizing their political power to elect someone that's closest to what they would otherwise want to elect. We have the same problem in America. We have people fighting over whether or not, for instance, they would vote for uh, Donald Trump. 
because he was not a perfect person in his past. Well, neither are you. And if you were perfect in your past, you wouldn't need a Savior, would you? No. So the problem that we have is we don't understand how to make decisions in a discerning fashion that are fundamentally consistent with God's word, will, and ways. We just don't know how to do that or are unwilling to do it in America and in Israel. So these two nations, which are the only remaining somewhat essentially God-fearing nations, are struggling as to who they will be who their leadership will be. And this election coming up is going to define that. It's going to be a very big deal. Legislative elections in Israel, uh, this coming one is going to be November 1st, to elect members of the 25th Knesset. The Knesset is the name for the uh, parliament there in Israel, 120-member Knesset. In April of 2022, a member of the Knesset quit the governing coalition and left it without a majority. So because of the nature of Israeli politics and legislative uh, constitution, they had to call an election. On June 20th, this year, following several legislative defeats for the governing coalition of the Knesset, Prime Minister then Naftali Bennett and alternate Prime Minister Yair Lapid announced the introduction of a bill to dissolve the Knesset, which was approved on June 30th. Well, at the same time, Lapid became Prime Minister and serves in a caretaker capacity until the elections take place next week. So you can see things are basically unstable there in Israel right now. Now, if things are unstable in Israel right now, how do you how do you consider how Israel will ever be able to respond, say, to an attack from Iran that is destined, dedicated to destroy Israel? How are they going to do that? A house divided against itself cannot stand. So when there is lack of stability in the government, anything can go. You're weak. You're not prepared. You're not prepared for every eventuality. You're in deep trouble. The same is true in America. Our current putative president has become a laughingstock around the world. He's mocked. Why should Russia or Iran or China or Saudi Arabia give any credence or credibility to Mr. Biden? There's just no reason. Everything is unstable, uncertain. And that's why this coming election is so critical. 
It's not about Democrats and Republicans in and of itself. It's about radical instability in the country. Because the country is terribly divided. And just as a house divided itself against itself cannot stand, neither can a country. So you might pray for the legislate for the election in Israel. Twenty contesting parties, friends. How would you like to be a politician trying to frame up sixty-one votes uh, to be able to gain a majority to be elected in Israel out of twenty contesting parties that change their minds every other day? Yeah, that's kind of what it is. Okay. Now, we move to something equally serious. Israel National News came out with a piece called The Future of Russian-Israeli Relations. The Future of Russian-Israeli Relations. And we're going to talk about this. Uh, It's pretty serious. It's a big, big deal. And... I don't think you want to miss this segment of the program here. So stay tuned. Before we get into this next break, let me just remind you about the book, Antichrist, How to uh, Identify the Coming Imposter. We talked about it in the first segment of the program. And, uh, you know, it's pretty amazing. In these times, people, more and more people are saying, you know what? This sounds an awful lot like the season that we should be concerned about this rising counterfeit Christ. What do you think? And don't you think it would behoove us to have some understanding about him? And by the way, lest you should think that you're not going to have to deal with it, the Apostle Paul made it very clear that the identity of the Antichrist or the counterfeit Christ, the son of perdition, would not be disclosed until there was a great falling away among professing Christians. Did you hear that? In other words, professing Christians are going to be around for that time. Yes, we'll be back. Have you ever considered what the early church was like? Many people are developing a heart longing for greater fulfillment in our practices as Christians. A recent study showed 53,000 people a week are leaving the back door of America's churches in frustration. What is going on? Why has there not been even a 1% gain among followers of Christ in the last 25 years? Could it be that God is seeking to restore first century Christianity for the 21st century? Jesus said, I'll build my church. Is Christ by his spirit stirring to prepare the church for the 21st century? The early church prayed together and broke bread from house to house. They were family, and it was said by all who observed, behold how they love one another. Incredible. But the same can be found right now. Go to saveus.org and click Sell Church. We can revive first century Christianity for the 21st century. It's about people, not programs. It's about a body, not a building. That's saveus.org. Click Sell Church. The future of Russian-Israeli relations. That's what we want to focus on in this segment of the program here today. Again, before we get into that, if you want to get a copy of Antichrist, How to Identify the Coming Imposter, 
$22 on our website, saveus.org, saveus.org. Call us at 1-800-SAVE-USA. That's 1-800-SAVE-USA or write to us at Save America Ministries. P.O. Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 23255. Writing a check at $5 for postage and handling it. By the way, if you want to get a copy of the latest book, uh, Messiah, Unveiling the Mystery of the Ages at the same time, uh, you'll save $3 in postage and handling. So uh, what you'll be looking at is $22 each for the books and then $7 postage and handling if you get both of those books together. They're on the website, saveus.org. Okay, let's take a look now at the future of Russian-Israeli relations. This is a very significant discussion. Rafael Castro, uh, writing for Israel National News, has this very interesting piece, and I want to share it with you. Putin is a ruthless KGB officer, no less ruthless than Stalin and Hitler. Putin firmly holds that the Russian nation, with its values, culture, and Orthodox Christian uh, religion, constitutes the last bastion of Christendom against moral corruption and death. That's true, by the way. And we've talked about that over and over and over again here on this program. And in my book, King of the Mountain, I lay all of that out for you in ways that you cannot miss. Number three, corruption and moral death in Putin's worldview are embodied by profiteering, cosmetologianism, individualism, hedonism, and sexual immorality. For him, the global centers of cultural decadence are Hollywood, Las Vegas, and Wall Street. Now, due to the premises uh, that we've just discussed, Putin is a latent anti-Semite. So far, his anti-Semitism has been kept in check by a number of factors, which includes Jews are an economic, cultural, and uh, public relations blessing for every land they reside in. And Putin has a history buff, understands this pretty well. He's close to a Chabad rabbi and was close to one of his teachers who was Jewish. Putin knows that the Jewish people and the Russian people both suffered terribly during a common enemy, Nazism. So whatever misgivings Putin may have always felt about Jewish political liberalism, cultural avant-gardism, and cosmopolitanism, he has felt it wiser to hug Russian Jews in order to be on friendly terms with them and their international networks. By the way, China is doing exactly the same thing. And we spoke about that earlier this week concerning uh, China and the uh, essential deification of Xi Jinping uh, at the uh, communist gathering there of 2,300 representatives on Sunday. Putin, though, now feels betrayed by Jews around him, and by the Jewish world as a whole. Few Russian Jewish personalities have supported his military campaign against Ukraine. Russian Jews have been disproportionately hostile to the military campaign against Kiev. Russian Jewish immigration has by far exceeded that of other ethnic communities in the Russian Federation. So this threatens Putin with a brain drain and is viewed by him as a personal uh, attack. 
Many visible leaders of resistance to Putin's plans are Jewish, like Zelensky, the famous uh, artist uh, Pugacheve, who has recently fled to Israel because of her Jewish husband and countless oligarchs and influential bloggers and intellectuals fleeing Israel, excuse fleeing Russia. So the consequences are that Putin has started speaking a bit of a threatening language toward the Jewish people. He has curbed the activities of the Jewish agency. He's publicly demanded more patriotism and commitment from Russian Jews. And he's invoked Satan in his speeches. From a Christian metaphysical viewpoint, there's nothing closer to Satan than those whom Christian Orthodox tradition blames of having murdered the Lord. That's his viewpoint. So, here's the warning. Vladimir Putin, if pushed too much into a corner, would be tempted to act against the Jewish state. Why? Well, since Israel is not a NATO member state, that would not invite an immediate third-party retaliation against Russia. The Arab and Muslim world, together with scores of anti-Semites all over the globe, would celebrate this assault and view Russia and Putin as redeemers. Zelensky would be caught in the crucible of fighting and or negotiating as a Ukrainian or as a Jew. And Antony Blinken, right here in the U.S., would face the same dilemma. So, from Israel's viewpoint, you see, viewpoint determines destiny. Always has and always will. Israel has to preserve its neutrality between Russia and Ukraine at all costs. So Benjamin Netanyahu has spoken out about this. He even uh, gave kudos to the existing caretaker government under Lapid because they refused to get involved with Ukraine. Israel should, on Twitter, ask Zelensky to seek a fair peace. And remember that he is no uh, Rambo. So the message should be pretty clear. In exchange for Russian diplomatic and economic pressure on Iran, Israel should quietly allow Azerbaijan to deliver drones to Russia. Whoa. That's, this is a report coming from uh, Israel National News. Israel will demonstrate to the non-hawkish Biden administration and to the dovish German government that it does not want Zelensky to push Putin into a corner and possibly unleash a nuclear war. Well, here's the problem with this writer. This writer has said, talked about the non-hawkish Biden administration. That is just an opposite characterization of the Biden administration. So I'm going to pick up from there, and I'm going to apply my own analysis to this situation with Russia and Israel. You see, if we go back to the scriptures, we find that somewhere along the line, Russia, which I believe is Gog, the chief prince of Meshach and Tubal, or Rus, as Russia used to be known, has not had any love loss for Israel or the Jewish people. Ever. Ever. 
So, there is coming a moment in time when the Jewish people are going to say, or Israel is going to say, we cannot participate, we cannot uh, yield to Vladimir Putin and his agenda uh, concerning the world. For one thing, he pits, he claims to be an Orthodox Christian. And so that pits him automatically against the uh, Orthodox Jews. They see him as having an agenda to rule the world. Indeed, if you were to read my book, King of the Mountain, you would find that their viewpoint isn't far off. In fact, the reality is there is an ancient prophecy going back 1,500 years that declares that Russia would be the third Rome and there would never be another. So that the Rome that the Pope heads up would not be the final Rome. The former Byzantine emperor under Constantine, which was the second Rome, no longer exists. It was taken over and destroyed by the Muslims. But that shifted to Moscow. The Muscovites, and they became known as the Third Rome. So, hence, the prophecy. Russia would be the Third Rome, and there would never be another. Now, perhaps, you can see why there is this amazing unity of church and state, so to speak, in Russia between Vladimir Putin as head of the Russian Federation and the head of the Russian Orthodox Church, which is deemed to be the true and only real Christian church in the world from the Russian viewpoint. Therefore, between the two, they see Vladimir Putin as the Redeemer They see him as the one to bring Russia into its final place to usher in the second coming of Jesus Christ. That's what they think. You can read about that in my book, King of the Mountain, which, by the way, you can get on our website, for $15, a $20 book, yours for $15, on the website, saveus.org. King of the Mountain. The eternal epic and end-time battle for he who rules the Temple Mount rules the world. It's a fascinating, fascinating book. Ultimately, when geopolitics combines with energy, the energy crisis in the world. And Israel comes into long-anticipated oil. Russia will see no alternative but to attack Israel. And will confederate together with Iran 
formerly known as Persia, with Libya, an Islamic oil-producing nation, with Tagarma and Gomer and many other nations with them, including Sudan, to take a spoil. We talked about this over and over again here on Viewpoint. To find that scenario, you must go to Ezekiel chapter 38 and 39. Ezekiel 38 and 39. It's called the Battle of Gog and Magog, or Gog and Magog. So what we see here is that things are changing and are going to be changing. And they're going to change dramatically. We don't see. We only see linearly as human beings. But God sees with a bird's eye or God's eye view. He sees all of the machinations that are going on. He knows the end from the beginning. And he's declared it in his word, my friends. So why don't we believe it? Why don't we trust it? We see the reality, the truth of it, over generation after generation after generation, millennia. And we still, in arrogance, resist submitting to God's authority. Don't you think it would be time now to really reconsider this monstrous chutzpah that we as human beings have where we diss what God has said on so many different things we claim Christ is a savior and then reject what Jesus said on so many issues it's unbelievable let's get ourselves in line with the word the will and the ways of the Lord it's called repentance confessing our sin, confessing our rebellion, and coming clean before God to prepare the way of the Lord for history's final hour. That's really where we are. Thanks for joining us here on Viewpoint today. Get a copy of the books, uh, Antichrist, Messiah, King of the Mountain. I don't think you'll be disappointed. God bless and pray for this election coming up in Israel November 1st. You've been listening to Viewpoint with Chuck Grissmeyer. Viewpoint is supported by the faithful gifts of our listeners. Let me urge you to become a partner with Chuck as a voice to the church declaring vision for the nation. Join us again next time on Viewpoint as we confront the issues of America's heart and home.